Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about a Hurricane Delta, Nancy Pelosi and the 25th Amendment, and then Christian Snedeker from Lake Geneva Camps and Conferences is going to join us. You're listening to The Common Good. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, flying solo today. Ian Simpkins, my co-host, is uh, on vacation with his family. We hope he's having a great time. But uh, something we're doing over the next couple days this week and uh, next week while Ian is gone, we're trying to bring in as many people from the area that is possible. And so uh, later this hour, we're going to be joined by Christian Snedeker from Lake Geneva Camps and Conferences. Uh, And then next hour... Uh, a local pastor by the name of Lou Ramos is going to join us for a few segments. So we're thrilled to be joined uh, by them both. So a uh, beautiful day today. This is just, oh, you cannot argue with 80 degree Friday in the Chicagoland area in October, right? This day last week, it was like 50 degrees. But today, uh, I think it's hit 80. I'm in shorts. You just cannot complain, especially what are we probably Hey, John, producer John, what do you think? Are we a month away from snow? What would be the over-under? Are we calling it in a month? What do you think? The last few years has been weird because it snows like six inches the week before or of Thanksgiving, and then it was like 65 degrees on Christmas. Yep, yep. Do you remember what the biggest... I don't understand it. Uh, at least for most of the t- of the year last year, do you remember that the biggest storm was on Halloween last year? Uh, That's right. Yeah, my kids, like, the kids I didn't even go trick-or-treating. Well, we had we had trick or treaters, but they were like in snow boots and Batman yeah, so costumes. That's what we did. Yep. Yeah. And so, if you figure Halloween is you know in like three weeks, yeah. uh, three weeks from tomorrow, and last year we had a huge snowstorm. All that to say, enjoy the eighty degrees while we have it. Enjoy it while you have it. Get outside, and it's exactly it's going to be a beautiful weekend. So. Uh, can't complain. Can't complain. Well, a couple places you can find us. As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, online and Twitter. Uh, I'm sorry, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk, online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows. Also, if you ever wondered, I wonder what Ian looks like, or I wonder what Brian looks like, you can find our pictures there. Uh, and then also get our every day, every just day, every day, yeah, just go look, look like. just, I wonder what they look like today. I'm probably wearing a hoodie and Ian is probably in like a, a cardigan of some sort. That's probably <laughs> the way this is working. Uh, but anyway, or you can find our podcast wherever it is. You get podcasts, subscribe, rate and review. Uh, that really does help us. It helps people find the show. And, uh, we are grateful for those of you who do listen on podcasts. We regularly hear from people. Oh, you're on the radio. I just kind of knew your podcast. So. Uh, go ahead and continue listening to that podcast if that's how you consume the show. Well, we often try to start the first segment. There's so much news these days. There's just with the election coming, with COVID-19, with everything going on in our world, there's just so much news going on that something Ian and I have been doing is just kind of taking the first segment, the first couple minutes to say, here's what's going on. Here's kind of the, the headlines, things that caught our eyes. Uh, given our own th- thoughts on it, and then kind of being done with the news for the day. If you really want news, there's other stations you, I'm sure that could give you the news. Uh, but do want to touch on a couple of things. First of all is this, yet another hurricane, this one named Hurricane Delta, is gaining in strength and size over the Gulf of Mexico and is taking aim at the Louisiana coast. And this is what makes this so tragic. It is literally, I saw this on the Today Show today, it is like within 10 miles of the track 
uh, of the hurricane that went through six weeks ago. And if you look at this track from the hurricane six weeks ago, uh, there's still debris everywhere, houses without roofs, all sorts of crazy stuff. That was Hurricane Laura at the end of August. And it's like a once in a lifetime deal where a hurricane comes right within weeks and takes the same track. But that's what's happening this weekend. And so we have got to be praying uh, for the people of Lake Charles and that uh, Louisiana area as they are about to just get drilled by Hurricane Delta in the exact same spot. Uh, where Hurricane Laura went through six weeks ago. The Louisiana governor said he is worried about the, quote, sheer anxiety this storm is going to cause because people are still traumatized from the hurricane that went through six weeks ago. And so uh, our thoughts and our prayers with the people in Louisiana, uh, keep an eye on that on the news, because I think it's supposed to go overnight tonight, I think, is when it is supposed to go through. A couple other things that caught my eye. Uh, one of them is this, Nancy Pelosi uh, she floated something interesting. She announces a bill on the 25th Amendment. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with what the 25th Amendment is, uh, it allows uh, she's wanting to run this through Congress uh, to create a commission if needed that allows Congress to oust a president from office using the 25th Amendment a day after she accused President Trump of being in, quote, an altered state from his coronavirus treatment. Uh, and so uh, Nancy Pelosi said, oh, it's just coincidental as to why she is doing this right now. Uh, I don't believe her. You know, I think that a lot of what goes on right now, um, you know, a lot of what is happening is kind of political theater, if you will. Uh, but there is no doubt that she is doing this because of President Trump's coronavirus uh, issues over the last week, people questioning, is he okay? Uh, and that this is political posturing and it's to be expected, right? We are less than a month from the election, but it, to me, it's yet another example of the craziness. And let me give you two more stories of craziness. This one was scary. And uh, you probably saw this in the news. I'm reading from NBC News, 13 men charged in alleged plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The men discussed attacking a Michigan state police facility and suggested shooting up the governor's vacation home. All of this, they are saying, is because, uh, yeah, they are preparing to kidnap her and possibly kill her. And uh, basically, the reason they're doing this is because they are upset with many things the governor of Michigan has done, most notably that she has in their minds arbitrarily shut some things down due to COVID and not others. Uh, and they're taking matters into their own hands. Now, the good news is that the FBI said that the, she was never in danger because they had this for a long time. They were covering this and uh, were ready to swoop in at any moment. But just the fact that this is continues to be the world, the country that we live in is so uh, it's it's mm -hmm. it's a mix of scary, disappointing, infuriating that there are people going, you know what, we've got to take up our arms. We've got to do something about what's going on right now. And it's just nauseating that 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 we're to this point. Uh, Ian and I talk about this often where uh, it felt like we used to be a nation where you could disagree mm -hmm. without, you know, worries about violence. And now you hear some people, I'm not a big uh, alarmist in this kind of stuff, but you do hear things of people saying, if my person loses the election, whether yeah. it's a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, then I'm going to, uh, you know, we're going to take up arms. You're just like, gosh, people come on. And 
to the people who are saying these people were just Trump supporters going crazy, uh, I would caution you to say that actually they were almost as much against President Trump as they were against the governor of Michigan. It just seems like some crazies and and it's scary. One more one more from the world of politics. Joe Biden today was asked about the court packing and is he going to pack the court? Kamala Harris kind of dodged this question at the debate the other day. And uh, Joe, uh, Joe Biden was uh, said this. He said, they'll know my opinion on court packing when the election is over. <laughs> so I feel like that just kind of is a. Uh, an indication as to where we are at in this silly election season. Kind of, I'll tell you after the election and President Trump doing similar things, right? Saying, uh, we'll work on the stimulus after, after I win. Uh, everything's about the election right now. So those are it's some of the big, like, go ahead. It's almost like bribery, you know, like yeah. it, it bugs me on either side. And I, I think that was, that was a few days ago when, when Trump said, you'll know about the stimulus after, after I win. Yep. And then, you know, he's not, he, he, he denied the initial, a proposal, you know, to have another stimulus check, yeah. and people are upset about it. But then people are like, "Well, don't you get it?" Because the, you know, the, the 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 cities that are asking for it are the blue cities, the ones that don't support them, and it's it 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 is what it is. But man, it just it seems so sketchy. This is a this is a different season. It's such feels so strange. It is election season so crazy because then you have Biden coming and being like, "Hey, you all want to know my court packing? That could determine some people's votes." And he said. I'll tell you after the election. It's just a crazy time that we live in. So those are some of the headlines. Uh, get you all caught up. Coming up next, Christian uh, Snedeker, executive director of Lake Geneva Camp and Conferences. He is going to join us for two segments coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on just another beautiful fall day. We couldn't ask for much better today. Uh, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out of town this week and next week enjoying a uh, uh, vacation with his family. So we're happy for Ian, hoping he gets some good time, good family time, some good rest and relaxation. And as Ian is out of town yesterday, today, and the rest of next week, we are going to just try to bring in as many local pastors, uh, college presidents, ministry leaders, all sorts of people we're going to be having in over the next couple of days. And with that in mind, I am thrilled to introduce and have uh, on the phone with us uh, Christian Snedeker. Christian, thanks for joining us today, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So Christian is the executive director at Lake Geneva Camps and Conferences. And uh, so, uh, Christian, why don't you talk to us uh, before we get into the camp and all that's going on amongst COVID and all of that stuff. I'm curious, just kind of your story. How did you end up uh, as the executive director at Lake Geneva Camp? Tell, tell us as much of your life story as you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. Our uh, pleasure. I grew up in DuPage County area, so uh, not too far from where you all are at and uh, enjoy listening to uh, WYLL for a long time. And um, as I grew up in that area, uh, my brother actually took me to church after uh, coming to know the Lord. And he just woke me up one Sunday and he's 10 years older than me. And he said, we're going to church. <laughs> and uh, when your brother tells you that, you just get up and say, all right, I'm that's doing right. what you say. So you, you don't beat me up. That's that's uh, <laughs> you know a typical way to be drawn into the ministry. And so he took me to Warrenville Bible Chapel, which is where I attended for many, many years there. And they were connected to Lake Geneva Youth Camp. Uh, which is up across the border, uh, just about an hour and a half from where you guys are at. 
and uh, got to go up there. The first time there was actually at a winter camp and it was uh, an awesome experience. And just through that great sort of informal relationship between my church and this camp, uh, I really was inspired to uh, get into ministry. It wasn't a direct route to ministry. I went to Emmaus Bible College, got a, a Bible certificate from there and continued to study graphic design and visual communications post that, uh, but continued to stay involved in camp over the years. Loved doing it, was a speaker there, uh, led worship there for them, and uh, just anything I could do to be at camp when I was off. Got hired in banking out of all places oh, in wow. the world for about 13 years, which I was voted least likely to become a banker in high school. So, uh, <laughs> That's funny. It was, it, yeah, it was fun um, for a little while, and it's, uh, you know, uh, paid for things. Uh, but I, every time I had a chance, it was me and my wife and my family as they continued to grow, we would just get involved at camp and wash dishes, speak, uh, clean up trash, whatever we could do to be involved there. Because the, the thing that was impactful to me over the years was that decisions are really made consistently right. at camps and retreat environments. I mean, it happens on a regular basis. It's this unbelievable power uh, that that's, uh, when you get away from all the distractions of the world and you let God just speak to you clearly. So um, seeing that, saying that was better than any home equity loan or credit card <laughs> that I was a part of yeah. or, or commercial, you know, commercial loan that I was a part of. So um, at some point, the executive director at the time just said, man, I think you would be really great at uh, development or advancement work. And I had no idea what that was. Uh, and I, I thought, was that like marketing? Because right. I, I have a background in that. And he said, kind of. And it's just about, you know, going out and telling the story of the ministry and seeking, obviously, financial support for the ministry and getting resources for the ministry. So uh, I was drawn and that was like a two year process. I was drawn out of the corporate world into camping world. And I've been serving here at the very camp that I met my wife at, cool. at where I made many, many awesome decisions for Christ at <clears throat> and uh, have been serving here for the last eight years. And then just recently, uh, I was appointed to serve as the new executive director. And that happened just on September 1st. So I'm really yeah. new uh, to the role, but I've uh, really enjoyed it so far, even in the, the midst of all the craziness yeah. that is COVID and what that means for camp ministry. Yeah, let's jump off there. By the way, congratulations on the new role. And uh what is what has COVID done? Like what talk to us about what was summer like? I'm sure summer is a huge time for you guys in the camping uh world. Uh but yes. what so what was summer like and what is it gonna look like now, fall, winter, even looking ahead to next summer? What's COVID done to you guys? Man, you know, for the future part of what you're talking about, I wish you could tell me what to <laughs> I hear you, like. man. I hear you. Uh, honestly, I think we're all scratching our heads trying to figure it out. And we, you know, in this time, we've probably planned and replanned and, and wiped away our plans several times in a row. Um, so starting back at the beginning of this year, uh, 2020, entering 2020, you know, our executive director, uh, great guy. Uh, God called him to another ministry, but we felt really confident going into 2020, as I think a lot of people did. The economy was was pretty strong. Mm -hmm. And more than that, for us, churches and groups and partnerships were developing for our ministry. It, it was a strategy we had been executing for a while to, to be a better partner to the local regional church community. So we had contracts in hand, not just hopeful thinking for, yeah. for 2020. And it was looking like we were going to have the 
uh, possibly best year of ministry from a number standpoint and beginning drawing people under the sound of the gospel standpoint, as we could hope. Uh, and then February came and there were these whispers yeah. in the West Coast and the East Coast of this really serious uh, virus that had at that point just been regulated to China. And then all of a sudden uh, it hit us. And in March, we experienced went from significant business, as I mentioned, going into the year to a, a 100% loss of business, mm. which I, I know is not a unique story for us. And it went March, April. May. And then finally in June, we had a little bit of an upset here. I think it was the end of May, early June. We had a little bit of an upset here politically that allowed, um, it was a little bit of a free-for-all in Wisconsin as far as which counties were doing what. And uh, we're in Walworth County, which is a relatively conservative area. And it was uh, open to basically said, you know, use your best judgment. And that's what we did. And so not knowing whether we were going to be able to do a lot this summer, we revamped and probably 20 iterations of what summer camp was going to look like. We came down and said, you know, based on the information, based on a lot of meetings with health experts, we work with a great nursing and physician team, uh, healthcare experts who have guided us over the years. And we met with them several times to develop the best plan possible to keep any guests or family or camper, you know, depending on what what way they're coming in and and working with us as safe as possible. So we went to these loose family getaways in a time where we would normally have our classic summer camp programs. Instead of serving uh, our our particular property uh, between the two properties we own has 1300 beds. Wow. So we can typically serve and yeah, I think that puts us in like the top 3% of capacity across the the country in in terms of camping. Uh, But most of that was down to tens and twenties and and thirties of people who would come at a time, which is was a great way to ease back into it. We established a ton of healthcare protocols, so uh, screenings on arrival before you come. Uh, you know, uh, social distancing. We distanced tables. We changed our food service protocols. Mm. We offered we offered and provided masks during that time. Uh, lots of sanitation. A lot of staff checks that happened within our own staff groups. And uh, over time, we built up to being able to run two pretty strong weeks of summer camp. We did our junior high school camp and we did our uh, teen camps, uh, half weeks that we do. And between those, we served probably close to a thousand people over the summer in various ways. But on a normal summer, we would have uh, it would have probably been 10 times that amount. Um, So it was a a huge, drastic reduction. And, And as we were looking at what this would all be uh, coming into the summer. We were praying as I think a lot of people were even Hollywood was sort of banking on movie theaters opening back up in August. We were hoping that August would allow us to come back to some sense of normalcy. And unfortunately that didn't happen. So we're still in a pretty tough season. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's fascinating, man. Cause I think we've all known that man, it's gotta be hard for places like camps, but it's just really interesting to hear uh, first-person account. That other voice here is Christian Snedeker. He's the executive director of Lake Geneva Camps and Conferences. And uh, Christian's going to stay with us. Got all sorts of questions for him. He's going to stay with us next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Uh, flying solo this week and next, as, he, as my co-host Ian Simpkins is out of town. But we are thrilled to be joined for a second segment today by Christian Snedeker. Christian is the executive director of the Lake Geneva Camp and Conferences. 
Uh, it runs both the Lake Geneva Youth Camp and Conference Point Center uh, up in the Lake Geneva area. And so, Christian, I'm glad you're joining us first. If it's anything up there like it is down here, it's this is like when it's nice to live out here, right? Like it's got to be oh, beautiful in Lake Geneva right now. Absolutely. I love how many times you have to say Lake Geneva to introduce me to. I know. <laughs> it's it a pretty amazing place. It's it's uh, Today's about 80 degrees in October. It's hard to beat that. That's, so. that's absolutely true. So if you missed any of what Christian talked about, kind of what's COVID been especially doing to not just their camp, but the kind of camping industry, you can go find that on our podcast the Common Good Great. Radio Show. Now, you guys do something interesting with a regional church partnerships. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, even in the midst of all that we're going through with COVID, we haven't taken our eyes off of who we are both before and after this. Like, how do we best uh, minister as a camp organization. And I remember early on when I came to camp, uh, you, you get great wisdom from your mom and one of the <laughs> yeah. best motherly wisdom Rolling. pieces is I came home when I was 14 after coming to that first winter camp. And I was like, mom, this place is incredible. People are coming to Christ here. And there, you know, there was like 30 kids who gave their life to Christ. And she was a little bit skeptical, not of kids giving their life to Christ, but what happens then? What happens after that when a kid goes home to maybe a non-believing family, to maybe a not so friendly environment like camp is? Uh, who's following up with those kids? And that stuck with me. Like literally uh, every week I thought about that as I entered into the camp program of the one deficit camp has is we are great at creating uh, experiences that call people to decision yeah, and that lay out the gospel clearly. And because we're clearing out so many distractions, you know, our mission at camp as we laid out is we are a place set apart for life-changing experiences in Christ. That happens much easier when all the distractions, all the noise that is constantly hitting us uh, is goes away. That's the benefit of camp. The, the deficit camp can have, and there's been criticism uh, of it over the years, is it's a great place to create these spiritual highs that are unsustainable. Mm. And that's because yeah. we often are doing it within a vacuum without the partnership of the local church. And, and as I was coming into this role <clears throat> and I was talking to youth leaders and pastors uh, I would either hear that criticism or the the relationship between church, especially we as a non-denominational evangelical camp, uh, we're not tied to a to a denomination. So all our ties to churches are pretty loose. The people who send up uh, families have a historical connection to us, or they just they're giving us a try, or they thought we were a cheap camp yeah. that comes up. So so they it's all about how you know how cheap can I get your camp, and we were all about how many kids can you bring. And I was just thinking, man, there's got to be there has to be a better way for us to partner to uh, further the kingdom of God. And in the many conversations I had, I realized. We had our limitations and churches utilizing camps have limitations, which is you talk to many youth leaders or you talk to many pastors, their goal is to grow their flocks spiritually and to grow them uh, numerically often for sustainability purposes. And, and they want to multiply the gospel. Uh, but oftentimes when they're coming up and utilizing us, they're doing a lot of the planning. They're doing a lot of the emceeing. They're doing a lot of logistics behind when they're running their own retreat. And it they just aren't focused on the thing that they were really meant to do, which is building these relationships with people and discipling people towards uh, a lifelong commitment with Christ. So we have deficits and positives on both ends. And it really came down to recognizing for the churches that have joined in with us, 
which seat is best for each of us to sit in and to stop talking about bottom line thinking, but talk about the mission of, of proclaiming the gospel and seeing the gospel sustained in people's lives, but with a long-term life, a Christ-centered lifelong commitment to him Mm -hmm. forever. How do we get there? And um, so we started talking about when we were talking about financial uh, matters, it's about discounting towards strategy of, of getting the gospel to more people, not about how cheap I can make a retreat or how, uh, how much I can get out of your church. And many of the churches that come on now with my, with my mom, uh, my mom's thoughts in the back of my head, I want them not to just send their kids. I want them to come up represented with leadership from the church. So when Johnny or Billy or Sally or whoever is making the decision for Jesus, that their youth leader, their main discipler in their life is present and can see that decision move forward and they can continue to speak into it. They can say, I was there. Yeah. I watched you make that commitment and I want to walk with you to, to see that further. So we establish a more formal church partnership and it focuses along uh, developing like-minded churches and our ministry with our statement of faith that we want to go and proclaim it to the world around so that they don't just come up and make decisions, but they go home and are established in the faith through a local church body. So not a brand new idea by any means. In fact, it really goes back to our foundation, but it's uh, it's something that we hadn't formalized. And so we've we've begun doing it. And uh, many we have about uh, 12 to 15 in our first year. And outside of COVID, we're hoping to expand to double that amount in this next year as we're working towards that. Oh, that's awesome. I know as of, especially as a youth, I used to be a youth pastor and that was always the struggle. You go to camp and it's awesome, right? And you guys would do it awesome. And then you come back and you're like, oh, what now? So I I love that picture. Uh, With the couple minutes we have left, I'm just curious. And again, under, seems like we always have to use this caveat about COVID. We don't really know the future, but even uh, if COVID were to kind of, things were going to go back a little bit to normal, what's kind of your dreams? What do you kind of see for the camp? What do you kind of see the future in your mind as? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think the the best part about a partnership with the local church is that they keep us informed in what they're experts at, uh, being frontline, being right there with their with their families, with adults, with children. They get to speak back to us. The God has given us these two great properties, uh, Lake Geneva Youth Camp and Conference Point, that we can meet the needs of every. Uh, person within uh, the body of Christ, every adult, every child, uh, conference points very adult focused, Lake Geneva camps very youth focused. Oh. And within that, we want to continue to listen to our constituency that are out there reaching people, drawing people in from their communities so that we might proclaim the gospel to more and just have that great reciprocal relationship when people come up here and they're not established in a church that we're feeding them back to strong church uh, communities around our region. So we're looking to just grow those partnerships, see those flourish, uh, see our grounds develop towards that need and to the better end of lifelong committed relationships to Christ. That's ultimately our our goal. That's really awesome. Christian, thrilled that you joined us. Why don't you tell us, uh, uh, let's give you the platform to kind of get people connected to you. So if people are going, man, I'd really like to either go to a family camp or I'm a pastor or youth pastor, I want to do something. Where are all the places people can find out more information and get connected? Yeah, well, uh, the best place to go is LGYC Lake Geneva Youth Camp www.lgyc.org. 
And right on there, you can inquire for your own retreats to do your own events or to join us within some of our programs. We do both. Uh, we're just focusing on making sure that every person who comes in here has great program and partnership opportunity. So lgyc.org is the best way to go. You can check out all our camps there, all the different retreats and special event opportunities throughout the year. We hope to see you. Awesome. Well, that's Christian Snedeker, again, the executive director of Lake Geneva Camps and Conferences. Uh, off air even said we should come do our first remote up there. And I was like, let's do yes. that, especially on an 80 degree day, right? <laughs> Something like this. <laughs> so anyway, Christian, hey, man, thanks. It's nice to meet you. Thanks so much Thank for joining us today. So grateful. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Sitting here lonely, missing uh, my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Ian and his wife and kids are on a little bit of a vacation. So we hope that they are doing well, recharging, enjoying this beautiful weather that we have right now. Hope you're enjoying it, people, and have a good weekend planned ahead of you. Uh, I've got the opportunity to sit at some uh, baseball games for my son, some softball games for my daughter. Uh, Looking forward to a weekend of uh, worship at church and just a beautiful, beautiful time. You can't. Uh, you can't complain with this beautiful fall weather. We were just talking to Christian Snedeker from Lake Geneva Youth Camp, and he said it's 80 degrees in Lake Geneva right now. So it's just, uh, you can't argue. And I know a lot of you have a three-day weekend coming up, and uh, myself included, we are going to, uh, there are going to be a best of show here on Monday as Ian and I both are going to be out, uh, but I'll be back at it on Tuesday. But I know a lot of you have the Monday off as well. And so hopefully uh, you got big things planned for it. Uh, as it is election season and everybody, we, we talk about this often between uh, cable news and social media and just opinions around the election. It could become really um, easy to start to just view everybody as either like far right or far left. And I read an interesting study this week that uh, kind of they've run this survey many times during election seasons and that there's never been a greater time in our country, at least in the past couple election cycles, in which people literally said, I am not friends with anybody else from the other voting side. And so we're very tribal. We're very uh, in in our kind of our bubbles. Uh, and that becomes problematic for the church because as Christ followers and probably most of you out there who are listening are Christ followers. Uh, we know that in a in an age of disunity, we are living in a time of disunity in a culturally, the church is called to unity and the church is called to uh, to not this kind of segment yourself, go in different ways, but that our our faith in Christ is called to be uh, above, you know, whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat, whether I'm even black or white, whether I'm. Uh, you know, educated or uneducated, rich or poor, whatever else, male or female, like uh, eventually what what is all of those fall under the umbrella of Christ follower. And we are called to have a unity, even with the people who are furthest from us. Uh, Scott Sauls in his book, uh, Jesus Outside the Lines, says uh, that we should be more at home with the people who share our faith and not our politics than we are with those who share our politics than not our faith. That kind of gets at this Christian unity. And so uh, kind of a point we want to pound home. And with that in mind, I want to read a blog post to somebody who's been on the show before, a local pastor from College Church uh, in Wheaton, uh, Josh Moody. 
Uh, back at the end of August, he wrote a blog post at his blog called The God-Centered Life. It's godcenteredlife.org. This title, it is titled The Forgotten Virtue of Christian Unity. So let me read it for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll give it some thoughts. Uh, Josh Moody writes, Among Bible-believing Christians, unity has often had something of a bad rap. It often feels as if it is something uh, somewhat soft, inadequate, uh, and weak ideal that is used by others, the non-Bible believing, to advocate for theological downgrade. It certainly can be used in that way. I remember a cartoon from the ministry of the late, great Keith Green lampooning this wrong approach to Christian unity. In the cartoon, there were a whole group of Christians trying to squeeze into a phone booth. And as they did so, they were jettisoning truth and dumping extraneous doctrines into a garbage can outside. But as much as unity and appeals for unity can be used to downgrade doctrine, the doctrine of unity itself must not be relegated into an insignificant matter. Take but two well-known texts that affirm the centrality of real Christian unity. Paul taught that we are to be, quote, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians chapter four, verse three. And Jesus himself prayed in his great prayer of John chapter 17, that his followers, quote, may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. That's John chapter 17, verses 22 through 23. So Josh Moody says, unity matters clearly. And yet, where is this idea of unity being propounded among Bible-believing Christians today? Instead, people are on their soapboxes, shouting from the rooftops their opinions about any number of deeply controversial issues, COVID-19, mask wearing, politics, etc., as if it did not matter how many people they alienated along the way. Brothers and sisters, is this how we should behave? Should we insist on our own way to the detriment of others and be incorrigible and not open to correction? Hear me clearly, I am not arguing for some minimalist version of Christianity where we all appear to agree about doctrine, but do not really agree if truth be told. What I am arguing for is a spirit of unity in the bond of peace. I'm arguing that how we talk about complicated matters of doctrine or policy matters. It matters deeply. If we position our view on something as the only view and consider anyone who doesn't agree with me as a borderline idiot and questionably Christian at all, then in what sense are we eager to maintain the unity of the spirit? We should never jettison truth or our consciences with regard to it, but nor should we jettison love. The two must go together or else we're violating Paul's other great injunction in the chapter four of Ephesians when he said that we are to be, quote, speaking the truth in love. That's Ephesians chapter four, verse 15. I hear a lot about truth speaking these days, Josh Moody writes, or what people think is truth speaking. The forgotten virtue of clear-headed reasoning is a subject for another article, but what I do not hear is compassionate truth-speaking, loving truth-speaking, humble truth-speaking. I do not hear listening either. Remember what James said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James chapter 1, verse 19, and Josh Moody, uh, Pastor Moody concludes it this way. That could be well be an important memory verse for our angry Truth as a weapon age. Brothers and sisters, let it not be so among us. That's Josh Moody writing at God-Centered Life uh, at his uh, his blog there at God-Centered Life about the importance of unity. And friends, I don't think there's ever been a time in my memory, uh, I'm 43 years old, I can't think of many times in my memory 
where this ideal, this idea of unity in the body of Christ is more needed and more important. We live in a nation of disunity where it's not just where we disagree, but it is where so often not only is the person disagrees with me kind of in my mind wrong, but they're the enemy, right? They have uh, they and you've seen this. If you vote for uh, for a Democrat, you can't be a Christian. We've had some very prominent evangelicals say that. But we as Christians are not called to see our brothers and sisters in Christ as enemies. We're called to disagree without being disagreeable and realize that what binds us together in Christ is much greater than what divides us politically, even when those differences run deep. And so as we move further into election season, closer to this contentious election, as we argue about masks and social distancing and reopening and not reopening places, as we do that, remember this call of Jesus on us in John chapter 17 towards Christian unity, towards the when we disagree, still doing so with love and in a world that is just dark and disunified, the unity of the body of Christ can shine brightly and be a wonderful testament to who Jesus is. Well, we got one more hour left in in our show before the weekend. We're going to be joined after the break by Pastor Lou Ramos. We're excited for that. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for you. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad you're joining us on this beautiful Friday. I'm normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is away uh, enjoying some rest and relaxation. So we hope he's getting it. And uh, But one of the things we've been saying is that, especially while Ian is away, uh, that we want to bring in uh, local pastors, ministry leaders, just interesting people for us to talk to and introduce our audience to. And so with that in mind, uh, I'm excited to be joined by the founder and the lead pastor of Storehouse Church, uh, Pastor Lou Ramos. Pastor Ramos, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Brian. I'm super pumped up to uh, just uh, have a great conversation with you. I'm excited to hear yeah, I'm excited so much to have you. I've, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, before we jump in and, you know, we talk all things church and other things, why don't you just introduce yourself, uh, however you see fit to our common good audience? Sure. Uh, pastor Ramos, uh, lead pastor of Storehouse Church with my wife, Marion, and we have three kids, uh, two in college now and one eighth grader. So our house is very, very busy. We're running uh-huh. like a little school here, as you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's uh an adventure to be a parent, and then also Storehouse Church. Uh, we are the founders, so it was 15 years ago that God put that in our heart. We launched it with, uh, I would say, 12 young adults. Mm. So we've been in the Chicago area for 15 years now, from Humble Park to Logan Square to now Portage Park. So we're very mobile, and uh, we love our DNA is uh, developing young leaders and also um, community engagement. That's big. Mm. I think as a pastor, um, we should be sitting at a table. So we've sat in the table with uh, President Obama, President, wow. uh, different presidents. Just a little history of myself. I used to do Homeland Security work. So I always joke around, said, wow, you know, I spent 17 years with Homeland, right? Mm-hmm. Never got to meet the president. Then finally got, begins to tug my heart. I finally made that crazy decision to go full-time ministry 
And lo and behold, a year after that, I get to meet with the president. I'm like, this is so hilarious. I did 17 years, never met the president. Here I am launching the church. So where I'm going with that is that I believe that the church needs to be uh, engaged in different platforms, yeah. whether it be government, community. So our DNA at Storehouse is, is about people. Mm. You want to be a storehouse of hope, love, just connecting. And during this season, let me tell you, I think... We've done the most outreach ministry in the entire history of the church. Who would have thought that it would take COVID-19 yeah. to, you know, bring that vision to life. So really excited to be in That's Chicago great. and look forward to seeing where God takes us from here. Man, there's so many things there that I want to ask you about. Let's go all the way back, uh, probably the furthest. You, As you said, you used to be in Homeland Security, and then you went full-time into ministry. And I'm wondering... Uh, why? What? What? What prompted the move? What was God doing in your heart? Why did you go from one job all the way into another job of full time ministry? Yeah, it's like every time I share my story, it's like people kind of take some a while to comprehend the transition. You know, from yeah. from enforcement and law to just uh, connecting more ground level with people. And let me tell you, it was a long process. I think sometimes God uh, begins to tug our heart. And as humans, we uh, we either get worried or begin to think like, Lord, how are you going to make this happen? I have a family to raise. And so I think that it literally, when I look back, it, it was like a two and a half year process of just meditating and God tugging my heart. And what was amazing is that God was already ministering in my heart. And, and I had this like not peace within me knowing that God was putting that in my heart, but I was honestly scared to, to make that, that shift. But little did I know when I finally had the bonus to share with my wife, because I don't want to scare her and say, guess what? I'm leaving my job. <laughs> yeah. be like, what? You're crazy. But it so happened that she's like, guess what? I got to confess something. God's been putting the same thing in my heart. And I'm oh, like, wow. why didn't you tell me? And she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he goes, I didn't want to influence you. Not one bit. So finally took the uh, leap of faith. And I just felt that God was just uh, wanting us to reach more lives. And let me tell you, those 17 years were so rewarding, met so mm. many amazing law enforcement people, not only Chicago, but Texas, Washington, D.C., different parts of the country. And I think I was as God, why was I there? You know, yeah. and I believe that God had a purpose within that just to see the hearts and to minister to law enforcement and. You think about it today more than ever. I mean, law enforcement needs to know right. that we're there for them and we love on them. So That's it was great. an adventure, but I'm, I'm, I'm all in for the ride of just <laughs> impacting lives now for the glory of God. That's awesome. That's awesome. I do want to ask you, we're going to get to COVID and talk COVID, but I do, I can't sure. not ask you. You said you sat at a table with the president. I'd love to just hear that story. How did you find yourself at a table with the president? What that happened, uh, once we transitioned over, um, I'm a big uh, believer that as pastors and faith leaders, we need to be at the table. So I find myself weekly, even now, engaging with the White House, with the governor's office, with the mayor, Ram Emanuel, and even Lightfoot now. And it really, honestly, it really doesn't matter what party they belong to. I think if we as leaders are going to be the light, we can be the light in any platform. So the opportunity came that President Obama was coming to town and I got an invitation to be able to meet with him. And I was astonished, didn't expect it. So we got to meet with the faith-based community leaders in the Chicago area, making an impact. 
And I got to sit down and talk to him. It was not a long conversation. And who knows, maybe he told everybody the same thing, but I guess <laughs> he told, he shared with me, he's like, keep up the great job. You know what I'm saying? You're making a big difference in the city. But it just amazes me how, regardless of where we're at in the country or in Chicago, that God can orchestrate amazing things if, if our hearts are in line to make an impact yeah. for him. Yeah. Uh, let me go. Let me ask you about just the city of Chicago, your love for it and your heart for it. You know, people who watch the news maybe don't live around here. They generally just only hear bad stuff about Chicago and, and the things going on. So talk to us about what kind of the Chicago you see. And more than that, like just your heart for Chicago and your passion for Chicago. Yeah, I would say a, a, a Chicago is 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 in in dear need of of God. I would say that's the way I see it. Um, I was sitting in a in a meeting this week with uh, some of the representatives from the mayor's office. They're coming out with a plan. How do we strategize to work on the violence in Chicago? And and honestly, some of the plans. I mean. They sound great, but some of the projections they have are like one year, two years, even mm. five or seven years. And it just resonated with me. I'm like, are we going to wait five more years? And when you look at Chicago, um, I wouldn't say that the whole city is in shambles. I would, mm -hmm. the way I picture it, it's, it's, it's more pockets within Chicago. So if you were to do like a big landscape picture analysis, I would say about a good 90% of the city is, is operational, is functional. And I think our job as, as faith leaders and, and business owners, whatever platform God has you in is to think about how you can make a big impact in the city. I mean, you have young people that are quickly, quickly, you know, growing and, and getting into positions of influence. And some may not even have that opportunity, but for us to be in a position to be able to help them, and guide them and be that hope that many of them honestly are looking for. It, it kind of reminds me of the meeting we had with pastors once this COVID developed. Churches were closed in Chicago and we're trying to strategize a, a work group of how can we open the churches safely and, you know, following CDC guidelines. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. towards the end of the meeting, I mean, we asked the mayor, uh, what can we do for you? Hmm. And, and it just stuck to me. It says, I need the prayer. And I think uh -huh. that was key, that we can yeah. strategize, we can plan. But at the end of the day, we need hope that we know comes from Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That other voice you hear is Pastor Lou Ramos. He is the founder and lead pastor of Storehouse Church right here in Chicago. And he's got other, lots of other things that he's doing. And so we're excited that Pastor Ramos is going to join us for two more segments as we continue to discuss uh, COVID-19 and kind of the work that's going on in Chicago as well through Storehouse Church and many other faith leaders. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a beautiful Friday afternoon here in the Chicagoland area. We hope you have a great weekend planned ahead of you. But uh, before we get to the weekend, uh, I'm super thrilled to be joined for a second and then a third segment uh, by Pastor Lou Ramos. Pastor Ramos is the pastor of Storehouse Church right here in Chicago. Uh, I forgot to ask you in the first segment, Pastor Ramos, where exactly is Storehouse Church in Chicago, if people are interested? Uh, yes, definitely. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, I'm excited just to 
meet you and learn more about uh, what God is doing in the city. Uh, Storehouse Church is in the Portage Park community at 5701 West Montrose. Okay. Okay. Uh, so before the earlier in the break, and then we, we got into a bunch of different things last segment, you were talking about uh, that COVID-19 has presented challenges for sure, but it's opened up some opportunities. So I would love for you just to talk about both those. Where have the challenges been for your you and your church during COVID-19? And what are some of the opportunities and some of the things you guys have been able to do during COVID-19? Absolutely. I think uh, COVID-19 has totally just uh, rev- revolutionized our, our, our strategies. Uh, every November, we, we strategize for the 2020 or the next ministry year, you know. So mm-hmm. as we reflected and looked at all our plans, our strategies, our focus, I mean, let me tell you, God just said, we're not going to need that. There's going to be other needs. So you got to kind of step up. And, you know, as every other church in the nation had to step up and um, rethink church. So we saw it as an opportunity. Uh, obviously, if you're in the Chicago area, most of the churches uh, have been closed for four or five months. Right. So prior to this, we've always talked about it, but we never really launched, uh, you know, the social media platforms or the e-church, what we call. But this was an opportunity. We have a great team of young adults. So everyone kind of just pitched in together as a team and we were able to launch our e-church via Facebook and Instagram and uh, YouTube and just different platforms. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a learning experience, but it was like all boots on the ground. And uh, thank God it's it's come together. But what amazes me is that even through technology, even through social media, lies are connecting with God. You know, mm-hmm. perfect example is every Wednesday evening, uh, we have our prayer on Facebook and we have seen an amazing amount of people that are, are making declarations or faith or asking for prayer. And it kind of reminds me of a, of a family that they attended a family gathering. And in the midst of the family gathering, there was about 20 of them. And it so happened that 10 of them in that family gathering caught COVID. Mm. So when we came across and they asked for prayer on social media, it was an instant prompting saying, what are you as a church, as a pastor, what are you going to do with that request? What are you going to do with that prayer? Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe the spirit put in my, my heart to reach out to them, make that connection through the friend and says, what if we coordinated a Zoom prayer just for the entire family, just mm-hmm. to love and pray on them? And it took two weeks, but thank God it happened. And in the midst of that, I mean, I was astonished how six individuals made a declaration of Jesus Christ as their Savior in the midst of, of, of the COVID um, just pandemic. So wow. it's just been a season of rethinking church. And I mean, I, I, I'm kind of losing track, but I think we've done over the last seven to eight months a total of about 10 plus community outreaches from wow. passing out groceries to a Mother's Day taking uh, strawberries to single moms to their house, to um, blessing graduates that, as you know, graduation this year looked totally different, you know? Yeah, yeah. So just kind of like making it a little more pleasant for high school seniors in the Chicago area. And most recently, uh, blessing, uh, I want to say 500 students returning to school with school supplies and just being there, being the church. So it's yeah. been a it's been a blessing to see the the blocks and blocks of cars that 
I always tell the church, someone is waiting for a meal. And God has blessed us to be able to provide that to them. So it's been an amazing, uh, powerful season. And it, I would say that it's a good lesson for us as, uh, as believers that when we see a problem, it's not really a problem. It's, it's, a, it's a perspective issue. Yeah. If we can see what is God trying to allow us to connect through this problem or situation that we're encountering. How do you think your church will be different even when things go, quote unquote, back to normal? I know we don't really know what normal is going to be, but how, exactly. do you think, exa- how do you think Storehouse Church will be different having gone through COVID uh, out on the other side? I think we'll uh, kind of rekindle our, our vision of in- impacting lives. And I always share with the church, if 10 years, 20 years from now, or 30 years, if we lose the vision of impacting lives, then we lost the focus. So I think it's kind of like a recalibre the vision that it is about lives and that if at any moment we can't be in a physical building, we can still continue to be the church. And I think yeah. it has uh, opened up our our creativity to be able to say, how will we do ministry different in 2021? Mm. And how will we connect with millennials? I mean, I was in an e-conference last week where they mentioned that 16% of millennials will not return to church. Hmm. It kind of hit me a little hard, but I said, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do about that? You know, are we just going to settle for that? Or are we going to really be intentional about connecting with them, whatever way it may be? Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that. That's a fabulous question right there, because it's obviously on your heart. What, what do you yeah. think the answer is for reaching millennials and even some of the younger generations behind them? What, what kind of comes to mind for you? Yeah, I would say um, another interesting uh, bit that I learned last week was that people are not interested so much about communication. And I know that we all got something to say, right? And, yeah, you know, as yeah. a pastor or as a lecturer, professor, you can lecture for an hour or so. But <laughs> people are not interested in more communication. They're interested in more conversations. Mm. So I think that is going to be key with millennials, just having those conversations, connecting with them in different platforms and just hearing the story of what they're going through. And I think that, in essence, is 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 what. The Acts chapter two church did a lot of community, you know, a lot yeah. of just loving on people. So I believe that has to be a major, major ingredient as we begin to plan for the next uh, year. Oh, that's great. Uh, when we come back in the next segment, Pastor Ramos is being so kind as to stay with us for a long time here. So he's uh, going to join us on the next segment. And what we're going to talk about is uh, as if you're not doing enough, you also are part of a ministry as a chaplain for the Corporate Chaplains of America. And so when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Pastor Ramos about what do the Corporate Chaplains of America do and what's the opportunity there that he's seeing in the midst of COVID and in the midst of the workforce. Uh, So that's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, usually alongside Ian Simpkins, but Ian is not here with us. I am flying solo. My name is Brian Fromm. We are glad to have you join us. Ian is out on vacation for a little bit, uh, enjoying some family time. We look forward to when he gets back. But uh, in his stead, while he's away, uh, we're, we're uh, having local pastors, ministry leaders, other people from the area, authors, come join us just to talk. And uh, I really am enjoying getting to do that. And with that in mind, 
we continue to be joined by uh, Pastor Lou Ramos from Storehouse Church here in Chicago. Pastor Ramos, I'm really grateful for the uh, generosity of time you've given us. And as I said, before we went to commercial, you're also, as if you don't have enough going on, uh, you work <laughs> as a chaplain for the Corporate Chaplains of America. And I was telling you off air, like, I find that really interesting. I was actually looking at that ministry, really kind of fascinated by it a couple months ago. Could you just, wow. before we get into what you do with them, could you tell us uh, what the Corporate Chaplains of America is and why it is you were interested in being a part of them? Sure. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's been yeah. a pleasure just uh, connecting with you. Well, Corporate Chaplains of America has been around for 25 years. And the idea came where, what if we took church? What if we care for employees at their workplace? And they've been around 25 years, and they're out of uh, Wake Forest, uh, North Carolina. So it's about 225 chaplains, both full-time and part-time, throughout the whole nation. Hmm. The concept is just connecting with the CEOs and business owners that will love to care on their employees and provide the service to them. And what's amazing about Corporate Chaplains of America is that as a chaplain, every company has their own chaplain. So imagine that you're going to work and you're going through something in life and your bosses and HR people are, are busy trying to run the company. So guess what? You can call your chaplain and you can mm. talk during work. You can talk after hours. You can connect with the chaplain via app or however it may be. But as a chaplain, we're available 24-7. And part of our, um, I would say, of our responsibility and care for the employees is that we'll call you within a 12-minute period. You'll get a phone call back. So wow. it's been a blessing just serving the corporate America. And how uh, how open can you be about your faith? Is this a is this a Christian deal? Can you talk about Jesus? How how does that even work in a uh, in a business setting? Yeah, it's definitely it's part of uh, the Corporate Chaplains of America or CCA vision to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some of the conditions is that it has to be permission based, mm. and I and it'll stay confidential also as far as. Uh, our conversations, our care sessions with employees, but owners do welcome it. And as I recall, I mean, even during this COVID season over the last seven or eight, eight months, here in the Chicago area, we have a total of uh, five chaplains for Chicago. So Chicago is growing in the Chicago area, in Schaumburg, in uh, Geneva, in Elk Grove Village. I mean, it's spreading. I feel like it's continuing to grow. So within those chaplains, every chaplain's got a group of companies that we can go to and just uh, care for the employees. You'll be surprised, uh, Brian, the amount of employees and their family members that are during this season. I mean, if we had stress before, yeah, imagine the amount of stress that they're either bringing to the workplace or working offsite. So I have had so many, so many opportunities just to share the gospel. And to this day, I mean... As you ask them, would you consider, would you allow me to pray with you? I mean, I have not had any employee tell me, no, nah, you know, don't pray for me or my situation. Yeah. But it's been an amazing experience. And not only as an employee level, but also as a senior management or CEOs. As I recall the story of a CEO that called me on a Sunday evening and says, uh, Chaplain Lou, I got to share with you, um, my best friend, 
just committed suicide. Mm. I mean, let me tell you, it was such a sad conversation and a call, but that's why we're there for it. So just connected with the owner, connected with the family. And as I arrived on the comp- with the company on Monday, I mean, he took me to his boardroom. We shut the door and I- I've never experienced, a, I mean, a-, a successful CEO just totally break down, you know, mm. just saddened. And, and afterwards, he shares with me, he goes, it is so sad. He goes, I don't have a family. I don't have coworkers. I don't have anyone that I feel that I can share this. So I'm here sharing it with you. And to me, it was like, Holy Spirit, give me the right words to be able to be there with them and comfort them. So that's part of the, the services and the love that we share on the employees. So it's been a blessing in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And I'd encourage people to check out Corporate Chaplains of America, especially if you're a business owner uh, and get connected. Let me ask you a question kind of off a really different subject, taking a hard right turn here. Uh, Not asking you who should people vote for or any of this, but as a pastor, I'm curious, how are you navigating election season? What are you telling your congregation? What are your hopes for your church kind of in this crazy lead up in this month towards the uh, towards the election? My. I would say my approach has been just leading the church and leading the community to our Christian values and our convictions and what do you believe on. And uh, I always share with them that there are times in our life that we endorse and embrace certain agendas, certain institutions, certain organizations that if we really, really dig deep, they're not biblical but they don't follow the values that we as believers should follow. So I also give them the example of um, Israel. You know, the word of God is clear that if you're a friend of Israel, he will bless you. So if you're an enemy of Israel, he will curse you. So I said, may we never find ourselves being uh, enemies of Israel. So I kind of lead the church into just asking questions and leading them into thinking about all these values of, of, the culture that we're living, do they fit with the word of God? Do they align with the word of God? And I've been surprised how a lot of them have been receptive, have been a little more welcoming to, to hear that and to open up uh, their scope and to be able to say, like, you know, I never saw it that way or yeah. I didn't realize how God feels about that. And one thing I've been praying for the last, my wife and I, we've been praying for the last three months is that God would bring a greater discernment upon all the young people, all the people nationally, so that we'll be able to see what would honor God's heart. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, Pastor Ramos, I'm so thrilled for how much time you've given us. With the last like two minutes that we have, Just, I would love for you just to speak uh, about what are your dreams? What are your hopes for Storehouse Church, say, for the next, for the coming five years, and maybe even for the greater evangelical church of the Chicagoland area? What are your hopes and dreams? I would say my hopes and dreams would be that um, as a storehouse church in Chicago, as we hear all these news that there's no hope, that the city is burning and falling apart, that we as storehouse will partner with other ministries in the Chicago and the outline area, and we would really bring hope to the city and that we would be that light. We would be that um, hope that many of them without knowing are looking for also to just impact uh, young leaders to begin to develop uh, 
leaders within themselves. And I foresee just a leadership academy where you'll mm-hmm. be able to connect and develop and, and be part of uh, creating this change that we need in Chicago. So I'm really looking forward to that and also more unity amongst churches yeah. of all diversities coming together and breaking all these uh, mind frames, you know, and strongholds and perceptions that yeah. cannot be done. Why can't we as a church model it and lead the role? Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Lou Ramos, uh, it's great to meet you. It's been a great conversation. Why don't, you, why don't we end by having you share, where can people find out more about you, about your church? What, uh, what, give them websites, social media, whatever you've got for people who want to connect with you. Definitely. If you're interested in uh, just connecting with something bigger than yourself, either through missions or internships, uh, I'm going to invite you to go to storehousechicago.org. Or look us up on uh, social media, Instagram or Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can connect with us. And uh, if you want to really make a difference, I invite you. And if you don't have a home church and you're in the Portage Park community, come on out or check us out on social media. But we would love, love to just connect and together make an impact for the glory of God. Amen. Well, Pastor Ramos, let's do this again sometime. This was really fun. We Absolutely. really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you're a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us. It is the last segment of the last day of the week. Hopefully you're looking forward to a nice weekend. I know for a lot of you, you have a three-day weekend. That's true also for myself and for Ian. And so on Monday, if you're a regular listener, you'll hear some uh, some of our favorite interviews, some best of, and then we'll be back on with a new show here on Tuesday. Uh, but we hope the weather looks like it's going to be beautiful this weekend. We hope that you have big plans uh, and we're thrilled that you joined us. Well, something Ian and I have been trying to do, especially in this weird COVID season where election season, where there's so much bad news out there, so much heavy news. We like to, every now and then, end our shows literally taking stories from an, a website called The Good News Network. This is goodnewsnetwork.org. It's just stories that are meant to put a smile on our faces. So uh, I'm just going to take some time, hopefully, uh, to just read these, and hopefully they uh, encourage you and put a smile on your face. Again, you can find more of these at goodnewsnetwork.org. Let's see how many we can get through. The first one is entitled this Greek athlete carries disabled woman up Mount Olympus, fulfilling her lifelong dream. Greek mythology is filled with tales of heroic strength, perhaps most famously Atlas, who single-handedly held the heavens aloft. In a singularly uplifting modern day Atlas came comes to life, one courageous athlete recently climbed Mount Olympus, home to the ancient gods, carrying a disabled comrade to the summit with him, piggyback style. Long distance runner, ooh, let's try a Greek name here. Marios Ginako was a long track record of taking on challenges. He trekked 168 miles across a desert, and he also took first place in a frigid 93-mile cross-country race in Antarctica. Prior to his latest endeavor, he'd already successfully taken in the view from atop Mount Olympus's highest peak 50 times. But when Gianaco met and befriended 22-year-old biology student Eleftheria Tosau and learned of her dream to experience the summit herself, it only seemed natural that he was there ready to rise to the occasion. 
you see Taosau securely she uh, was harnessed in a specially modified backpack to him, along with an eight-member support team, starting the grueling ascent to Olympus's tallest peak. When they reached 2,400 meters, the party stopped to rest. After making camp for the night, they resumed their climb at 6 a.m. Three hours later, having put in more than 10 hours climbing total, the triumphant pair reached the summit. He said, there's nothing more real than the dream. It's heartening to know that while we generally think of heroes as stuff of myth and legend, there are actually some shining examples who exist in real life as well. See, if that doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what's going to. So let's keep going with these. Second one's this. A fisherman has a decade-long friendship with a blind seal who follows him each day. A fisherman has formed an unlikeliest of decade-long friendships with a blind seal. Nicholas Lewis first met Shauna, the seal, in 2010 when she was just a pup. She poked her head out of the water looking for some food. Ever since, the sociable seal has greeted Nicholas at the steps at Peel Bay on the island Isle of Man to say hello. The 41-year-old crab and lobster fisherman says he now feels like Shauna is like his own child as he sees her every day and loves her very much. Shauna will spend her afternoons following one of Nicholas's three boats around the bay before enjoying two or three mackerel a day. The dad of four said when she was just a little pup, she'd appear and we'd always feed her and she became so confident and comfortable around us. I don't think we'd go a single morning without her coming to say hello. She'd come to up to the steps to wait for us, knowing that we'd be there in the morning. It was a bit startling at first, seeing a seal waiting for you like you had an appointment. I love seeing her by my boat, though. She's fascinating. Sadly, though, in the last year, Shauna has become blind in one eye and progressively is losing sight in both eyes. Nicholas noticed Shauna's left eye was suddenly turning white in 2019 and six months later had turned completely white. He said he has had to take extra care for his best pal in recent days as she's become prone to injury. Still 10 years on, and this pair continue to be inseparable, something Nicholas says he won't ever take for granted. For him, Shauna will always be like family. Oh, I just need to pause in between these. These are these are quality. <laughs> to, John, you're crying over there. I know. Oh, I just, you're crying. I, I didn't want to make it apparent on the air, but you know. There you go. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. A new generation of young poll workers is stepping up to protect elderly from COVID-19. During normal election years, it's typically retired people who step in to act as poll workers every 4th November. Uh, every 4th November, every 4th of November, maybe. But many of America's elderly are staying home to protect themselves from COVID-19. And now the country's youth have stepped up to take the reins of civic responsibility. In a funny turn of events, a web developer in San Francisco that had originally created a website to see if people would help buy pizza for those waiting in line at polling stations, the aptly named pizza to the polls, he pivoted towards a model of recruiting poll station workers, which people informed him were going to be dangerously low in number. This required a change in name, the power to power the polls, it's now called, which has so far recruited 450,000 of the next generation of poll workers, 200,000 above their original target of a quarter million. The majority of people signing up are between 18 and 35 years old, the opposite end of the spectrum to the normal battalion of America's poll workers, more than 70% of whom are between the ages of 60 to 70. What an awesome story. I know we have elections. We are polling place at our church. And every year, it's the vast majority of the poll workers are are older people. So that's just a cool story uh, to see younger people doing it. All right, let's see if we can get these last two done. 
rescued horses in Puerto Rico are now living the perfect life. Thank the strangers across the sea. Kelly Stoby runs an amazing thoroughbred racehorse rehabilitation and rehoming facility on her farm in Puerto Rico. But as you can imagine, funding is a constant struggle. This is even more so during a global pandemic. Luckily, a couple of organizations came together recently in a huge show of support for the work Kelly does at Caribbean Thoroughbred Aftercare, and it's made a huge difference just in time. Now, CTA has a five-month supply of hay, and Kelly won't have to scramble week after week to get food together for the horses she's rehabilitating. That's an, that's a cool story. Last one. Last one for you before we head off into the weekend. Feeling happier and less stressed is a big benefit of dancing, say 80% of people. They say laughter is the best medicine, but eight in 10 people reckon that dancing is also great at making them happier and less stressed. A survey of 2,000 British adults found that three quarters feel, quote, happy after shimmying around their home. And almost half went as far as to say they feel their mental health is better as a result of activity. John, I'm guessing this makes you a happy person because I'm guessing you're one of these guys who dances around your house. True or false? I can't dance a step and I don't even do it alone. Oh, it's, it stinks. Like, I, I know. I, I'm, a, I'm a musical person. I enjoy music. Yes. I, can, I can sing. The organist for the Cubs? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the very interesting, cool things. I cannot dance. I don't know what it start is. Dancing. I can't dance or sing. I'll dance around the house. You got to do this, man. Here's here's data that tells us you'll be a happier person if you start. This, doing this might be this might be the uh, the, the pivot here. I this, is to, this, this, <laughs> this is it. This is it. Defining this moment. Is <laughs> this is it. Well, it's been a great week. We're glad you've joined us again. If you missed any of our shows this week, you can go to our podcast or go to our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. We hope you have a great weekend. Again, we're not going to have a show on Monday. There'll be a best of, but we'll be back with you on Tuesday with new content. Uh, anyway, for Ian Simpkins, who's somewhere on vacation this week. My name is Brian Fromm. Have a great weekend. We're glad that you've joined us. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.